Hi, thanks for joining this week's podcast with Pastor James Jones of the Divergent Church. We hope you will be blessed by the message you are about to hear. If you would like some more information about the church, please feel free to reach out via email at divergentcog at aol.com or go over and check out our website, divergentcog.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a blessed day. We're going to be talking about the allure of sin. And we're going to... We're going to look deeply into where sin starts. See, a lot of times we think sin starts with temptation, but we're going, to, we're going to look at the truth about that. There's something a little deeper where it goes this morning, and we're going to look at that. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of Proverbs chapter 5 this morning. There is much wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and... Solomon, a man who has seen a lot in his life, while his wisdom was from God, much of his wisdom came from experience, and experience probably he wished he didn't have, from choices maybe he didn't make, and you find that out in the book of Ecclesiastes later on. But this is a man who not only has wisdom from God and understanding in his spirit, but has experience with wisdom as well. And so if you're going to talk about the allure of sin, if you're going to talk about the captivation of sin, why not go to one of the wisest people who have ever lived and hear what he has to say about it? So that brings us to Proverbs chapter 5 this morning. The first 14 verses of Proverbs chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn. At last, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, how have I, I'm sorry, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Solomon here is used by God to give us understanding of temptation. While this scripture often is taken to the context of purely adultery, it goes much farther than that. This verse here is not talking simply about the sin of adultery. This section applies to more than just physical adultery, but a spiritual one. It applies to us spiritually. 
uh, I'm not going to go deep into it, but have you ever heard the uh, expression where the prophet talks about Ahola and Aholaba? These, this, is, this is another word for uh, Israel and Judah. And the prophet says, you have become the harlot. You have played the harlot. You have committed adultery. You have gone after false gods and the things of the world and things of this. And, and Solomon here makes a light comparison. When we chase after sin, we adulterize ourselves. We come away from being the bride of Christ and being those that chase after the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You see, chasing after pleasure, chasing after greed, chasing after these lusts, this is sin, but it's also the sin of adultery. We are becoming adulterers toward God. We are not remaining pure in our faith, pure in our walk, pure in walking to Him. And how does it happen? Where does all of this start? Well, first off, let's call it what it is. It's sin. If something comes between me and God, it's sin. If I'm chasing after something and not chasing after God, it's sin. But where does sin start? Well, some will say sin starts at temptation. It is when you are tempted that you begin to sin. But this morning, we're going to look at that and see that that's not actually true. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. Book of James chapter 1. You see, sin does not start at temptation, church. It starts way earlier than that. James chapter 1, verses 12 and 14 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, now watch this and pay close attention to this, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You see, sin does not start with temptation, church. It goes to what you think about. But understand this, it doesn't even start at your thought patterns. Verse 14 says, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That's when temptation gets a hold of us. When we are drawn away by our own desires. Well, wait a second, Pastor, it doesn't make sense. How can temptation get a hold of me if I'm a child of God? How can you be a child of God if you're not doing what God has asked you to do? You know when David's greatest sin came? When he wasn't where he should have been. Go back and read the story about David and Bathsheba. All of the kings were out making war. All of the kings were doing what kings do. What was David doing? Walking along the rooftop of his house. Now, they didn't have television back then, but if David had television, he'd be sitting on his couch with the remote. That's what he would be doing. And I'm not saying he was lazy. I'm saying he wasn't where he should be. He wasn't fulfilling his office. He was lackadaisical. And when he let himself become idle, that's when his eyes saw Bathsheba. And then something began to happen. You see, David's sin didn't start because he saw Bathsheba. It started because he wasn't doing what he should be doing at that moment. You say, but he did so many great things. Yes, he did so many great things for the Lord. And he did so many great things after. That was one moment in time. That's it but it was a pretty bad moment in time. And it didn't start at that moment. Something led to that place. 
You see, sin doesn't start at temptation. Temptation comes from our thought process. It says right here in verse 14, we are tempted. Lost my place, excuse me. We, we are tempted by our own desires when we are drawn by our own desires and enticed. Now it says in this text, blessed is the man who endures temptation, who overcomes temptation. We will all face temptation. As a matter of fact, what does the Word of God says? We have an advocate. We have one who, a, a mediator, one who was tempted in every way we have been tempted when it talks of Jesus Christ. He was tempted in every way we will be tempted, yet he was without sin. So it can be done. It can be done. You can live a life outside of sin, but it takes effort, it takes work, it takes never letting your guard. I'm telling you, the second you let your guard down, and that's why God is so full of grace and mercy, because you and I will never be perfect. Understand that. I'm not saying, all right, just give up and do what you want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't be so self-condemning that, man, I blew it again. God doesn't love me anymore. No, that's not, that's not the point. That's not the case. The case is you messed up, and like we talked a couple weeks ago when we talked about continuing to grow, find out how not to make that mistake again. Go back. What caused me to make that mistake? We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. So when he is enticed and he is drawn away by his own desires. So sin does not start at temptation. But here's the thing. It doesn't even start at your thought patterns because something calls you to think the way it does, doesn't it? He is drawn away by his own desires. How did you get those desires? Were they put there by God? No, they were not put there by God. God does not tempt us. The Word of God just told us this. Where did those desires come from? Because it's those desires that led us into temptation, that led us into sin. So then it comes to our thought process. Okay, it starts at our thought life, right? It starts with how you think about things. No, that's not it either. It goes even farther back than that. Here's where sin starts. It starts with how well you and I follow the Word of God. You know, it's so simple sometimes we miss it. People want to complicate. I mean, they want to, they want to give you this PowerPoint of seven steps of how to avoid sin and stuff, and that's just not the way it is. It is the simplicity of the gospel. Do not be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And, and he's very clear when he says somebody who hears the word and doesn't do it is like looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. I mean, you can't get a better illustration than that. The word of God shows me where I need to make corrections, where I need to fix. And if I walk away and don't do anything about it, it's like I forgot how messed up I looked. I need to do something about it. Or like when the Word of God says something like this, I discipline my body. I beat my body into subjection, Paul says. What does he say that for? He says, so that when I'm done preaching, I myself may not be disqualified. Well, wait a second. Paul did all of these great things. How would he be? Because Paul was leery that sin could come at any moment. And if I am not on my guard, if I am not careful, I will develop habits. I will develop thoughts. I will develop desires. Temptation could get the best of me and I could fall into sin. But instead of waiting till temptation, instead of saying, you know, I'll have a lackadaisical relationship with Jesus Christ and I'll just make sure I avoid temptation, don't do that. That's not possible. Because if you try to fight sin on your own power, you will lose. I promise you, you will lose. But if you try to fight it under the power of Jesus Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you can't lose. You see, he says, I beat my body into submission. He says, I therefore will not be disqualified after preaching. Paul knows the Word of God. He preaches the Word of God. But he says, I apply it in my life. I don't want to be disqualified from this. So it's that serious. 
He also says later on in the Word of God, take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, every thought that goes, if there's a thought that goes through your mind that shouldn't be there, stop what you're doing because salvation is that important. Your eternity is that important. Your walk with God is that important. Stop everything. Grab a hold of that thought and say, okay, I'm going to bring this thing into submission to Jesus Christ. I'm feeling anger. All right, I've got to stop right now. And I've got to bring this into submission. I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling jealousy. I'm feeling rage. I've got to stop and bring this thought into subjection to Jesus Christ before I act on it and do something foolish. You see, sin starts much sooner than temptation. Sin starts brewing way before that. And I'm going to tell you why very soon. How about this verse? Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is noble, meditate on these things. Meditate. Don't just think about them every now and then. Let this be your thought process. If I'm thinking about the love of God, guess what? I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be jealous. Now, church, there's going to be times you let your guard down. Again, we're not perfect. Doesn't mean we should stop trying to be, though. I will fall. I will mess up. My job is to try and make sure I don't do that again. Learn what caused me to trip here. What caused me to stumble? Let me take it back. Where did this start at? And let me try to avoid it next time. Let me try to not fall into the same snare. You see, and that's the admonition we're getting from Solomon in Proverbs. He's admonishing him about what temptation is and about how it looks and how it comes, and we're going to look at that in just a moment too. But here's the main question this morning. Are you winning the fight? Or did you not realize there was a fight in the first place? Some folks are at that place. There's many people who will come to Christ who will pray a prayer of salvation and not realize spiritual warfare just began. Spiritual warfare has really kicked in now. You see, it's not about me praying a prayer and saying, God, let me into heaven and I can do whatever I want. It's about me coming and surrendering to Jesus Christ and making Him the Lord of my life. Not just my friend, not just my pal, Savior, Lord, I sell myself as a slave to righteousness. You realize I am owned by God. I am redeemed by God, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Never to be a slave to sin any longer. Are you winning that fight? Do you know there is one? You see, what steps are you taking? What steps in your personal life are you taking to move forward? What steps in your personal life are you taking to follow the Lord? What steps have you set up for spiritual growth? We talked about spiritual growth the other week. What steps have you made up? What steps have you put into place that will cause you to grow where you want to be so you won't be where you are spiritually now one year from now? How will you get there? Here's something I want you to remember. We make our habits, and then our habits make us. We decide our schedule. We decide what habits we do. But rest assured, your habits will make you. The things I invest in as I repeatedly do it, if I find myself going places I should not be, it will affect me. Think about this. If you've had a young person, I have a, uh, we have many young persons, but we have a six-year-old right now, and he likes to get on the phone, and, and you've seen it, uh, I think you've heard it before, you know, no one can hang up on you faster than a six-year-old watching YouTube. It's true. Uh, somebody calls the phone, you don't even know it rang. But the thing about it is we have got to monitor where he goes. 
because what he sees, what he hears will affect him. And we've learned that with all of our other kids. Our other kids said we were too harsh. We even had family that said you were too harsh. When Malachi and Tia hit about 11, 12 years old, we gave them, um, they didn't have iPods or iPhones, or they had uh, MP3 players. And we loaded them with music that we chose and said, here you go, this is what you got. And they loved it. You know, we, we weren't lording over them like, oh, you're going to listen. We tried to make it exciting, and, and, and they were always at church anyway. I mean, when, when, when my kids grew up, they slept on pews. Um, there were times when we went to churches, and ushers from other churches would carry them to the car, because we had so many of them, would carry them to the car, you know, so we could drive them home, because we were out preaching late at night. And, and, and they grew up in church, but we knew, because of the area we were in, because of the things around, you cannot let your guard down for a minute. So we watched what they watched. If they wanted to watch TV, we watched TV. All right, what are they watching? And when something bad happened, we didn't necessarily turn it off right away. We watched the rest of it, and then we said, all right, this is the situation. And we tried to insulate them, not isolate them from the world, but keep investing in them. And it didn't go perfect, but they're still growing. They're still developing. They're still learning. And it happens in our life as well. What are you doing to take hold of the things you hear, you listen, where you're at? Your habits will make you. If I habitually go to a place where there is something that uh, is going to weaken me, weaken me spiritually, it's going to expose me to something I don't need to be exposed to over and over and over again. And eventually, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to develop a desire for something that's unhealthy. I'm going to develop a desire for something that's ungodly. And guess what happens next? Temptation. Because temptation comes when? When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Sin does not start a temptation, church. What are you doing to win this fight? What are you doing to overcome sin? Sin doesn't start at temptation, but rest assured, if you don't guard your heart, it will be coming for you swiftly. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us the enemy is like a roaring lion prowling around. You ever seen how lions hunt? I don't know if you ever watched like some of those nature channels and stuff. But oftentimes, they'll follow a herd and they'll find one that's wounded or one that's weak or one that's slow, and that's the one they jump on. Because a lion is intelligent. He's hungry, and he doesn't want to chase his food very far. I can catch that one. I'm just going to get that one. Your enemy, the enemy of your soul, prowls around like a roaring lion. If he can find a weakness, he will jump on it. If you are weak in an area, believe me, he is coming for that area. And you can say, but I can guard it. I can. You keep guarding it. You keep putting your guard up. But one day you're going to be tired. One day you're going to let your guard down. And that temptation is going to come. And it's going to be sweet like honey. But it's going to take you where you do not want to go. You see, our enemy sees our weakness and drives at it full force. So where does that leave us? That leaves us with a war of two natures that are going on inside of us. Tell me the Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verse 5 and 6 in Romans chapter 8. I love to hear those pages of Bibles turning. It's awesome. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. I don't like it when they stick together and I can't pull them apart. There we go. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. And in the Word of God says this, For those who live according to the flesh, now, now read this in light of everything we've said. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Makes sense. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now with everything we just said, your habits make you. Your habits develop your thoughts. Your thoughts develop your desires. Your desires is what the enemy comes after. But what if I made it a habit ahead of time to be so full of the things of God, I don't have room for the things of the world? What if I closed myself off to sin so much so that I wanted to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, and if I find a way in my life that satisfies the flesh, I want to try and destroy that area? There are two natures warring within us. What do we live according to? Do we live according to the flesh or we live according to the Spirit? That is something only you can answer for yourself. But how you live develops how you think, which develops how you live, which develops how you think. Which de- It's a cycle. Somewhere along the line it starts with how you and I are living. I've come to Christ. I'm excited. I want to alienate everything that's sin. I get so into His Word, and I'm at every Bible study. I'm at every class, and I'm listening to every time I can hear the Word of God, and I'm not listening to anything unless it's Jesus Christ. And for weeks on end, I am just away from sin, and I am separated from sin, and I am chasing God with everything I have. And I'm developing habits, and it's developing my thoughts, and it's developing my desires. And my desire is, I want more of the Word. And somebody says, hey, there's this party over here, there's a Bible study, I want more of the Word. Somebody says, hey, this is happening over here, but there's preaching, I want more of the Word. And what happens is, I am driven to God every single time. Now, don't get me wrong here, don't read into this. Going to social events and things is not bad, I'm trying to make a point here. What am I driven by? God did not call you to go live in a cave and hide until he comes back. That's not living, church. That's not abundant life. Jesus said abundant life. I believe abundant life is abundant. I believe it's exciting. It's full of joy. It's full of peace. It's full of happiness. full of a lot of things. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying go live in a cave somewhere so you won't sin. Because there's a chance you could do it there too, you know. You could sin in a cave. I, I don't know how. But it could happen. And if the enemy can figure it out, he will bring the temptation to you. I promise. But how you live develops how you think, which develops how you live, which develops how you, it accelerates, it snowballs. It's like compound interest, if you will. In, the, in Romans chapter 7, the chapter before this, Paul talks about the two natures that war within us. We've got the flesh, we've got the spirit. We've got the law, we've got grace. We've got living for now, we've got living for eternity. There will be two natures within you. There is the sin nature you and I are born with called the flesh. And there is the spirit within inside each of us that God has put there. And if we fulfill the things of the spirit, church, we will grow closer to God. And if we fulfill the things of the flesh, we will grow closer to sin. You know, I, I heard a famous football player one time years ago. This was back in the early 90s giving his testimony on, I forget what show it was. 
he was a wide receiver in the National Football League, and he was talking about how he had, you know, another person on his team had asked him to come to church, and he came to church, and he, and he came, he got saved, he got baptized, started serving the Lord, but he noticed that when he went back out on the road, all those temptations were there. He was talking about how all the, you know, the worldly things he did, and, and you know, whether it was uh, promiscuity or, or drugs or alcohol or all these, just, just indulgences, if you will, overindulging in all these things. And he said, all those temptations were there. And I remember praying, God, why didn't you take this away from me? Why isn't it gone from me? Why do I still want to chase after women and chase after drugs and that high and all that? What's wrong with me? And he looked at the TV camera and he says very plainly, it was at that moment I realized God was telling me I had to choose who I love more, him or my sin, because I'm going to follow one of them. I'm going to follow one of them, the one I desire the most. Church, who are we serving? What, what nature are you feeding? Are you feeding the flesh or are you feeding the spirit? We're about to do another church fast here soon. I know a lot of people do it at the first of the year, so I don't want to interrupt a lot of people do their personal thing. You know, January 1, there's a lot of folks who do the Daniel fast. You know, personally, I do the Elisha fast. I only eat double portions. I, uh, <laughs> some of you guys got that. <laughs> But um, no, I don't want to interrupt you know, people, they're, they're, what they do at the beginning of the year, but we're going to be doing a fast soon. And what the fast does is it denies the flesh and feeds the spirit. Because we have the two natures, and the one you feed is the one that will grow, church. And that's where sin either, start, where sin either starts or where it stops. It starts and stops on the decisions and the choices we make of who we're going to be and what we're going to do. Sin does not start at temptation. It doesn't start at desire. It doesn't start at thought process. It starts with a decision we make of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. I want to wrap it up with this. From the text, Solomon says, Her lips drip with honey. They're smoother than oil, but then bitter like wormwood. Starts off good but then it gets bad. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. I know you've heard this before, but it bears re-mentioning. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will hold you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you could ever pay. Sin will do that to you. Let me go back to the text. Verse 11 through 14 says this, And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Man, you get so lost in the sin. You get so caught up in the sin, you don't even realize how far you go until it's too late. And then you mourn because the flesh and the body have been consumed with this sin. Verse 12, and say how I have hated instruction. And my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. That's what sin does to you. That's what temptation does to you. That's what your desires do to you. That's what your thought process does to you that's what your decisions do to you you see it starts all the way back to the decision of who am I serving and how will I live 
It doesn't start at temptation. You see, when it's full-blown sin, right before sin is the temptation. And right before the temptation is the desire. Because the devil knows your desires. Understand this. When you have a weakness, when, when, when let's say a, an individual has a weakness for womanizing, or they have a weakness for um, drugs, or they have a weakness for theft, the enemy will come and make it look beautiful. Just, just come on in, and that desire wells up, and you, you're going to feel satisfaction doing this, and it's going to be so wonderful. And once you do it, you're going to find your way being drugged down to hell, and you can't get away from it. You get so caught up into it, and at the beginning it is wonderful and it's beautiful, but then it becomes bitter. Because you realize where you're going, you don't want to go. It will ruin you. It will ruin your name. And it will drag you to hell. It doesn't start with temptation. It starts with what you decide to do now. Because the enemy knows your desires. And he'll pull that thread. He'll take that desire. All your weak in this area. Let me make you an offer. That's what Satan does. Oh, you have a problem with fidelity? Let me make you an offer. Oh, you have a problem with lust? Let me make you an offer. You have a problem with greed? Let me make you an offer. You have a problem with being selfish? Let me make you an offer. That's what the enemy does. And makes it beautiful and makes it enticing. And even sometimes I've seen people try to justify their sin by saying it was furthering God's word. No, it's not. You can't justify your sin. When you get caught in sin, don't try and justify it. Just let the light shine on it and kill that stuff. Just let the light illuminate the sin and say, I have done this and I don't want it anymore. Somebody, don't be pride, don't be arrogant, don't think what all they're going to think about. Guess what? We've all been there. We've all had sin in our life. We all needed to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. None of us was born saying, all right, I'm on my way to heaven. I didn't need the cross because I'm perfect. If that's you, then we should switch places. I should be listening to you so I could try to be perfect. I'm not perfect, church. You already know that. Many of you have been around here long enough to realize I do not deserve to do what I'm doing, but it is by the grace of God and the call of God. And each of us have that same testimony. We don't deserve to do what we're doing. We don't. But God has called us. He has anointed us. He has given us the ability. Now, what will we choose? To follow Him? And I mean wholeheartedly? Sin is no joke, church. We don't hear it preached about in the church because we don't want to offend people. I want to offend people. I want somebody to offend me. If I'm doing something that is not right, I want somebody to just get and tell me, wrong way, don't do that, stop, don't go any farther. I don't want somebody tiptoeing up and saying, you probably shouldn't do that, Pastor. You might end up in hell. I want somebody with the urgency to jump in front of me and say, you're going to hell over my dead body. I am not going to allow you to continue in this. I'm not going to allow you to do this. I can't let you because I love you. That's the church. That's what we do for each other. That's what we do for the world. 
This is not a simplistic message. It's just something you're going to have to digest and process for a while. But understand the point is this. Sin does not start at temptation. And it does not start at desire. And it does not start at your thought process. And it starts all the way back at the decisions you and I make of what am I going to do with my life. Because the more I'm exposed to things, the weaker I get in those areas. Or the stronger I get in those areas. When Satan sees that weakness, he'll pull that thread with a beautiful offering. A beautiful offering of pleasure, of what's going to make you feel so good. And that's the allure of sin. Let's pray.